I apologize in advance for my voice um, still from last week, which my friends from Telford, I want to shout out to my friends from Telford for coming. They drove three hours this morning, so that's awesome. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, did my friends from London come? London? No, they couldn't make it. Okay. Um, I didn't want to forget you out there somewhere. Um, I get these messages, hey, I'm coming from like wherever. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I totally forget um, by the time it actually happens. But yeah, last week I got like sick. I got under the weather. And um, I had a, I actually last Sunday was the worst. I've actually probably never had a worship experience go this, um, this direction. I've had no voice and gone up on a stage. Um, the first time I was 11 years old and uh, no, no, I was 12. And I go up on the stage um, with no voice at all. So I, uh, I had led worship on Sunday morning and I was using bad technique and I had ruined my voice and it was horrible. And um, Monday, I had no voice. Tuesday, I still had no voice at all. But um, the sad part of the story is this, that um, my mom's friend's sister had passed away. Um, I'm not sure. I think it was some type of cancer, and I'm not sure what cancer it was. But I had recorded a little three-song demo in an office space at our church when I was that age, when I was 12. And we did this three-song little demo and I've actually heard it since since then, and it's uh, it sounds like uh, my sister singing or something, is <laughs> is what it sounds like. And so you know, you got this three song demo that you think is a little girl singing, but it's actually me. It was me as a little kid, and um, and she apparently this this woman um when she was getting her last treatments of chemo, um she played that album, that three song demo every day, and so her request was that I would come and play those three songs at her funeral. Um, she was saved. She was Christian. And she knew she was going home and she wanted to go home. She didn't want to stay. She wanted to go be with Jesus. And so they said, okay, um, Nathan, we want you to do this, the, the, this funeral. You know, it's, it's all sad and somber and stuff. And I said, absolutely. You know, I'm 12 years old and I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And it's, um, it's apparently a, she was very popular because there was like 2000 people there. And, uh, and it was in a huge, like, 4,000-person um, Lutheran church. And uh, I go up to play. Mind you, I have no voice. So I have no voice. I can't even speak. I go up to play. I'm shaking and trembling in anxiety. And I don't even have stage fright. So I was scared because I'm about to go up there and go, <laughs> you know, have nothing. And uh, I go up there, and I just had... Um, my parents were like, should we just have them play the album? And, uh, and I was like, no, God can do anything. So I went up there, and I, I said, God's going to give me a voice. I know it. I know it. So I go up there to sing, and then all of a sudden, I go to say hello, and the first hello didn't really work out. So I clear my throat. Hey, Richard and Bozzy, good to see you. Um, uh, so I clear my throat, and um, I, like, say hello. And then I say, hello, everybody. And I had a full voice. And I go out to sing these three songs with a completely full voice. And we did it, you know, totally fine. I said, thank you. And I prayed for her and I prayed for the family. And I get off the stage. And as soon as I get off the stage, I had no voice. <laughs> I went back to none. And I was like, whoa, it was the first vocal miracle I'd ever seen um, in my life. To, since then, I didn't change my vocal technique. I didn't sing any better. 
I still sang horribly. By the time I was 14, I actually was medically told not to sing for six months. If I was going to sing one note, I would damage my vocal cords permanently. So I actually, you know, kept singing properly. But over those years, and then once I could start singing again, again, over those next years, many times that I had lost my voice completely, I would go up on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night after like four days of a conference, and I'd go up there with no voice, and then all of a sudden, you know, had a voice. Um, But last Sunday was was (laughs) the opposite happened, but God still showed up and did his own miracle in his own unique way. Because it says in Hebrews 2, 4, with various signs and wonders given to the church according to the will of God for his purpose. So it was according to his will. These miracles happened just according to his will. So I'm sitting, I'm, I'm playing the piano and, uh, and I had, um, I got sick, so I had no voice. So I'm playing the piano and, um, and uh, all of a sudden uh, we were going to do like three songs, jazz and Michael, you were there. Um, we were going to do three songs and I'm singing this song and I just lose my voice. I can't sing anything. I can't even talk. I like get off the microphone and I'm like trying to talk to check. I'm like, I can't do it. So I played the melody line for like a famous popular song, hoping people would, you know, catch on. So I'm playing the melody line for people to catch on. And meanwhile, people think I'm just wanting the piano to minister to people. So they have no idea that my voice is gone. And I'm like, I'm like, over there, like, okay, God, now would be a great time. Show up. I know you've done it dozens of times before, and I'm just getting nothing. You know, it's getting worse, actually, as I, as I continue to try. And um, I, I, sure enough, I play the line, and everybody gets it, and we all start singing, um, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb. And we start singing the song for like 10 more minutes, because that's how long I had left. So we were going to sing it for 10, 20 minutes if we had to. And um, we go and we, si- we sing the song, and I finish, and then um, they give me the microphone to speak, because I was going to preach as well. And um, they give me the microphone to speak, and man, I went to speak, and I sounded like a chicken. <laughs> Imagine a human chicken. That's what I sounded like. <laughs> Some of your imaginations are going crazy, but um, I sounded weird. And um, so I, I, I spoke, and I was, I was going to whisper the whole message like this, actually. I said, hey, guys, do you want me to whisper or talk weirdly? <laughs> they all went with weirdly. <laughs> they thought the whisper was probably creepy or something. And so I, uh, I went to speak, and... Um, you know, and, 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 and we spoke, and God showed up, and the message was, uh, God, God, you know, came, and I still actually had no idea what I was going to say, actually. In fact, I was, that's what was making it worse. I was like, God, what do you want me to speak on? And, you know, I'm, I was asking him during the worship. I was like, God, what do you want me to speak on? Oh, I lost my voice. Do you want me to speak, or do you want me to have somebody else speak? He's like, no, you speak. And I'm like, speak on what? You know? And so I'm going, and so I'm like, well, let's, let's, uh, let's pray. So this was my plan. I said, guys, well, let's pray together. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, and we're all praying, and I'm like praying. I'm like, God, give me something to speak on. Just give me something to speak. And I'm like, guys, keep praying. <laughs> and so they're praying, and then all of a sudden, God just says, read the Bible. And so I said, guys, we're going to read our Bibles. And so we're going to open up our Bibles now to Titus. <laughs> chapter 2. And so we went to Titus chapter 2, and I had the pastor come up and, and read out the chapter. And, um, 
And, and, and I don't know what's in Titus chapter two off the top of my head necessarily. I mean, uh, figuratively, like I know the gist of what's there. And, um, so I'm listening to Titus chapter two being spoken by the pastor and I'm going, oh, that's good. I know what to speak on now. And so then I go to speak and God gave me the message right there and God showed up and it was just really a testimony to me um, of full reliance on him. It says in Jeremiah, he whose faith and hope is fully reliant upon the father for him, he has joy and wellness in his soul. So for me, when I'm fully reliant on him. You know what faith really means? I heard Billy Graham share this one time and he was sharing a story he had heard from a friend of his. And the friend says, Billy, have you ever, have you ever sat, have you ever rocked on a rocking chair? And Billy said, yeah, I've been on a rocking chair. You guys have been on a rocking chair. He said, you know how you can go all the way back, but it's just going to bring you back forward. And, and Billy Graham said, yeah. He said, imagine sitting on that rocking chair and going on the point of the back of the chair, where if you're holding the wall, and if you let go of the wall, you will fall down. There is no saving you. There is no you being able to lunge yourself forward and save yourself. If you let go of this wall, you will fall straight on your back. And Billy goes, okay, what's your point? He says, that's faith. It's when you fully have complete reliance on God that if you let go, there is no backup plan. There is no second chance. There is only, you've got this wall, you've got this Jesus, you've got this faith. If you let go of this thing, you have nothing. So he said that was faith. And so when you fully rely on God, it doesn't just say fully rely on God um, when you're praying for sick people. It says fully rely on God. As we say in America, fully rely on God, period. Or like you say here, full stop. It means completely in every single area of your life, not just, not just physically, but financially. Yeah, so I lost my voice and it sounded bad. That was the, some of the story last week. Still this week, I kind of got sick. I got a weird stuffy nose that has not left. So I'm praying for it to go. And um, this morning during worship, it was just giving me a heart. When you learn how to sing, it goes through your nose and you, you channel sound out your nose and your voice. So if your nose is all congested, you can't um, hit any high notes because there's three areas of your, vo of your voice. There's your chest voice, your head voice, which resonates in your nasal cavity, and then your mixed voice, which is a blend. So trying to sing any high notes is like extremely difficult. So I have to pull up chest voice and do all this stuff. So I... Um, apologize for anything sounding bad this morning, if it did. So that's why, pray for me <laughs> that I feel better, um, that this stuff he knows goes. But when we're talking about faith, which is what we were talking about a minute ago, there's a promise made in, by Jesus in, uh, in, in multiple times, in John 15, in John 14, and in John 16, multiple times in, in these uh, three chapters, Jesus specifically commands us. He says, listen, anything you ask in the Father, in the, anything you ask in my name to the Father in faith, he will give to you. And you have not because you asked not. And none of you have prayed to the Father yet, but I'm telling you now, because you've believed in me and loved me, the Father himself hears you and loves you and will answer you. Pray directly to him. Jesus then said, don't think that I'm going to regurgitate your prayers to the Father. 
That's not what Jesus came to do. He himself said, don't think that if you pray to me, I'm going to then take your prayer and pray it to the Father. He says, no, 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 no. Because you've believed in me and because you've loved me, my Father himself hears you and my Father himself loves you. So go directly to him and anything you ask in my name, he shall give it to you. And we know in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door shall be opened and seek and you shall find. But there's a reason reason why these things don't happen. Who's ever asked God for something that has not happened yet? Now, who's asked God for something and it happened? Awesome. Almost the same amount of hands. Okay. Because I have both. Now, just the only difference between those, those times, if you were to pinpoint a difference, can you even pinpoint a difference? Or, or, or does most of the time you're asking still in faith? You're, you're, you're asking still in belief. In, if, in fact, when you don't get the answer, you press more in. You, you pray more. And sometimes if you don't get the answer that you're looking for, you even go as far to say, you know what? I'm going to fast about this. You know, and these degrees of prayer, you know, go up the ladder and you're like, I'm, you know, I'm not getting this answer. So I'm going to pray more. I'm going to contend. And it could be religious and legalistic. And you think that by trying harder, you're going to get an answer and that's wrong. But if you're in a pure motive and you're just simply contending in love, because you know, your father loves you and you're contending for something in spirit and truth. And you're the, Jesus says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And you're in this pure motive of I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to get this answer. And you increase these degrees of your prayer. And, it's, and instead it was just a simple, Jesus, I really need this. And it turned into praying for hours and hours and hours and seeking God's face and fasting and praying and all these things. But you still don't get an answer. Do you think it's because God hasn't heard you? No, it's not. It's not because God doesn't love you. That, he, that It's not because God didn't hear you. And it's not because God didn't love you. If I say, hey, Jesus... Would you just take this person out of this wheelchair right now? Would you just take this person out? And that person comes out. And I've seen this before. And, and all, we, all we said was we just simply took the person's hand and we just said, come out of this wheelchair right now in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden they just, they just feel their legs strengthen and they feel their heart strengthen and they step out. And then there's other times where we, we take somebody's hand in a wheelchair and we're like praying for a while. And we're like, Jesus, just take this person out of the wheelchair. And the person's not coming out. Do you think it's because God doesn't hear you? Because he doesn't love you? No. It's, see, there's something about miracles that Hebrews 2.4 gives us a little insight into. It says, according to his will. He does these things variously according to his will. Now, his will, I promise you right now, is healing. Because if his will was not healing, then Jesus would not have died on the cross for our healing. His will is that you would be made whole. Mind, body, and spirit. Sozo completely healed. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So it's never not going to be God's will to heal somebody when you're asking. But there's a time and a season for all things. Jesus gave us insight when he was asked a question by the leaders of the church at the time. And they said, Jesus, was this man, was this man um, born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Why was this man born blind? He was over the age of 40 years old. The Bible tells us that this man was over the age of 40. So he'd been born blind and was blind for 40 years. 
It's a long time to have an ailment. That's a long time to have a, an issue. Born blind for 40 years. That's before Jesus was born. This man was born blind before Jesus. But when this man was born, even though Jesus wasn't alive yet, God had a plan for him. Amen. God had a plan for this man. And then Jesus goes, he says, no, neither his sin nor his parents' sin. No, this was held back for the glory of God for such a time as this right now. And Jesus prayed for him and gave him healing. So I don't know why certain things happen when they do and when they don't. But I do know it is the will of God for healing. It is the will of God for you to be made well. It is the will of God for you to be made whole. So when you're praying for somebody and you're asking God in faith for somebody to be made well that's sick, you keep praying. You keep asking. You don't give up and don't start to convince yourself that it's not God's will. Don't let yourself fall into that lie because I've met so many people that fall into this idea of sickness is their lot in life to carry. It's not. It was the lot in life for Jesus to take to the cross and judge forever. And now that it's been judged forever, our lot in life to carry is his burden and his teaching, his yoke. And Jesus said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. My teaching is easy. Go love the Father with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love one another the same way that I loved you. These are the burdens and the teaching of God. So today I wanted to talk to you guys about integrity and I wanted to teach, I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about what it looks like to live, um, what it looks like to live a Christian life that's fully devoted um, into, uh, into Jesus. So can you just um, turn your Bibles, if you'd like, to, to Philemon? Some of you are like, oh, I haven't been there in a while. Doing this with one hand is difficult. My pages stick together. There it is. Okay. It's one page. Are you there? It's before Hebrews. If that helps anybody. It's the book right before Hebrews. After Titus. After first second Timothy. You there? All right. So in verse eight, um, Paul says this, and and and, and, and before you start reading and, and you get lost in reading, I I I only want you to just catch catch this. Like we're, we're, you, we're, we're going to focus on the reading, but understand that what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to convey to you is, is more of the heartbeat of what was written. It's the heart behind what was written. And what was written is a statement coming from a place of the heart that was changed. And I feel like if we as Christians can get to this place of heart, then we can change people's lives and actually live the way Christ has called us to live. So in verse eight, Paul says this, he says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Now pause there. You can put your thumb in there, close the Bible. We're just gonna talk about that for a second. Paul is saying, listen, I have full authority to tell you what you need to do. 
um, I, I, I can just simply command you and I can just say, I can just say, hey, Nathan, do this thing. And I can be your pastor and I can be your apostle and I can just say, hey, do this. This is what's required. But Paul's saying, listen, there's a much greater reason why I'm on the planet and it's not to command you to do something. It's not to establish Paul's kingdom. It's not to establish Apollo's kingdom. Actually, when um, Paul and when Paul was addressing the Corinthians on baptism, he said, he said, were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Were any of you baptized in the name of Cephas or Apollos? No, all of you were baptized in the name of Christ. So how can any of you say, oh, I belong to that of Paul, or I belong to that of Cephas, or I belong to that of Apollos? It was denominations beginning to be started. And Paul's like, no, don't go down a road of denomination, because what does the root of denomination even mean? The root of denomination means division. When people ask me, hey, Nathan, what denomination are you? What they're asking me is, what division of the church are you? And I'm like, no, that's not even a fair question. Because Jesus didn't say to Peter, he didn't say this. He said, Peter said, Jesus, you're the son of the most high God. Peter, that was not your own idea. (laughs) That was given to you by my father. And on this revelation, on this rock, I will build my divisions of the church. That's not what he said. He said, on this revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church as stones. I will lay them together. Peter talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the rock of offense, upon the rock that many will fall. But to those that see that rock as the son of God, they are become living stones themselves, joined together to the chief cornerstone, building the church. You and I, we are living stones we're supposed to be rocks, rocks of offense to those that are not being saved and rocks of anchor of hope to those that are being saved to build a church in unity. You, if you join rocks together and you build a foundation and then you build the walls and you build this structure, it's a very strong structure. It's how they used to build castles before they had brick and mortar. They just use rocks and mortar and all these different things. We, we are living rocks the same way Jesus is. God wanted a church that was a family. He did not want a church that was denominationally devised. Amen? Amen. Is that okay to say? Is this an okay place to say that? Because Jesus didn't want division. It's, it's crazy, man, that we divide it. So when people ask me, what denomination are you? I'm like, well, what denomination was Adam and Eve? Seriously. And then they're like, well, mm, and I'm like, well, then I'm. Mm. <laughs> because Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were sons of God. Adam and Eve were sons and daughters of God. The first form of government God ever established on the planet was family. It was the first form of government ever. He said, hey, family is going to govern the world. That's it. I'm going to be their father. They're going to be my kids, and we're going to be family. Jesus came, and he restored us back to that family. Now we're brothers and sisters in Christ, joined together as living stones in one hope, in one salvation, in one faith, in one spirit. These are all things in the Bible. One spirit, one faith, one hope, one salvation, one father, one God, 
One redeemer, one savior, oneness. We're one family. We're not devised. It's not, it's not, it's not we all join together and become a multitude. It's, it's the same principle of a husband and wife. When two become, to, when two come together, they become one. When we as a church become one is when we can become one with Christ and actually begin to live like the church. But we can't live like Christ and command people to do things. If you're in a place of authority, and even if it's in a workplace, or whatever, I believe that there's two tactics most people use to invoke authority in workplaces. And I own a business back home and I understand what it's like to um, have people working for you and with you. And you can use fear and you can use that tactic of authority and that that person could lose their job if they don't do a good job. And you can use that sense of fear in any mildness of case. You can use extreme fear or slight fear that you can't even tell is fear, or you can use love. And you can, you can so move somebody's heart and sway them in love that they want to serve you, that they're willing to serve you because you've served them. How can you love them without serving them? It's impossible to love somebody without serving them. Jesus, the embodiment of the love of God, literally in John 15 says that he abides in his father's love and so are we to abide in his love. Literally, he lives in the love of the father and says, I came to serve, not to be served. I can't, I can't love somebody and not serve them. And I can't love you and claim to be full of Christ. So Paul's saying, listen, I'm bold enough in Christ. I can command you to do this, but yet I'm not going to. I'm not gonna command you to do this thing. I'm going to let love persuade you and I'm gonna appeal to you. I'm gonna ask you. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, I could just get it done and I, we have a goal we need to meet and I could just command you to just get this goal done, but instead I'm gonna put myself in a place of risk and say, would you help me? And if you don't help me, I'm stuck. I'm in a place of faith now because faith operates in love. So if I appeal to you and ask you, let's make this example, let's make this example humanistic in terms. Let's say Paul needs to get to Macedonia, okay? And Paul needs 1,000 currency of, of their time. He needs 1,000 denarii. Paul could say, well, I'm bold enough in Christ. There's 100 of you. So all of you give me 10 and you can send me to Macedonia. This is, I'm just using this as a principle. I'm not saying this is what he was trying to do. But he's saying, that I'm just using this as a principle. All of you just do this thing and help me. And, and I promise you the church would have done that. But instead, Paul goes and says, hey, would you help me? Would you see my need and would you help me? And now Paul's standing in a place of faith and asking in love and saying, if you love me, you will help me. If you, if you love me, because if you love me, even if you only have 10 denarii, because you love me, you'll give expecting nothing in return and giving everything you have because those who love give everything. Why? How can I say that? John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he what? He he gave. So when you're so in love and you so love, what do you do? 
you give. If you're not so love, if you're not so loving, if you're not fully compelled and possessed by love, you're not going to give. You're not going to give as much. See, the Father gave everything, and everything was Jesus. And then everything that the Father gave decided on his own right to give everything. And that everything, that person of Jesus said, I'm doing this to be an example to you. I promise you, church, if you give everything, your Father in heaven who owns everything will give you everything you need to complete everything he's called you to do. This is the promise we live in. This is the promise we have. So Paul's saying, listen, I don't want to command you to do anything. I want you to, I want you to love me. And um, um, <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, listen, I'm appealing to you for my child, um, one Seamus, <laughs> whose father I became, um, whose father I became in imprisonment. So he met this guy while he was chained, and um, he said, "Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you now, sending my very heart to you." So Paul is saying this. He's saying, "Listen, I found this man in my imprisonment." And I became a father to him. And by me sending him to you, I'm sending my very own heart to you. What is, who does that sound like? It sounds like God and Jesus, doesn't it? And he's like, I'm sending my very heart to you. And then, and, then, and then he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me. Imagine God and Jesus in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred, now, now underline this in verse 14, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your, in order that, um, sorry, I lost my place, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So Paul's like, listen, I'm willing to send everything that I love and hold dearly, my very own heart to you. And what, what I'm asking for you to do is I'm asking for you to not be com compulsively driven to help me because of command. I'm asking you that you would be good out of love. I'm asking that you would be good and, and, and honor and respect out of, out of love. Re just receive my, my son out of love. I would have loved to keep him with me, but, but it's better for you that I send him, so I'm sending him. So I just want you to just treat my son with goodness, but not out of because I'm telling you to treat him with goodness. I'm not going to write to you and say, honor him the way you honored me when I came to you. I'm going to write to you and say, please, out of your own accord, treat him with the same love you would Jesus. Treat him with the same love you would me. And he goes, um, for this, and, and th th then he says, Paul goes, for this is perhaps, and he goes, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that he might, um, that, that, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all. Now, I want you to get this, guys. Listen to me. I want you to get this. And I want you to, I want you to think of your brother. I want you to think of your sister. I want you to think of your mother. I want you to think of your friend. I want you to think of your coworker who's an atheist. I want you to think of people that are sometimes hard to love. And Paul goes and he says this. He says, listen, listen, if he has wronged you or wrongs you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. So say nothing of your own. Say nothing of your owing me, even to your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. What Paul's saying is saying, listen, I'm going to send to you my very heart and treat him as you would treat me, but not because I'm commanding you to and out of compulsive authority. I'm saying, listen, treat this person well with kindness. And listen, if he wrongs you at all, if my son wrongs you at all, charge it to my account. Don't hold it at his expense. Now, follow me here. This is going to go somewhere. So you got to lean in. It's not, it's not going to be that long of a message, but just lean into what I'm saying. Um, he's saying, listen, charge that to my account. Don't hold that offense to him. Don't even speak of your offense to him. Don't even speak of your offense or the owing to yourself. I will pay it of my own accord. Now, you can close your Bibles. In Matthew 25, and I talk about this very often because it, when I read it, it ruined me. It ruined my heart. It ruined everything I knew. It, it, it frustrated my flesh. It frustrated my ideology. It frustrated my theology. And it ruined my compassion. Because I had none. I had no compassion. And what I thought was compassion was ruined by the viewing of real compassion when I read Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna quote it. I'm just gonna paraphrase it. Jesus goes in Matthew 25 and he's like, listen, in one day, on, on, on the last day, I'm gonna take upon myself the dividing of the sheeps and the goats. And I'm gonna take the sheep and I'm gonna put them in a line over here. And I'm gonna take the goats and I'm gonna put them in a line over here. And I'm gonna say to the goats, I'm gonna say, you didn't come to me in prison. You didn't treat me well when I was offensive. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You didn't give me water to drink. You didn't give me food to eat. You didn't help me. You didn't love me. You didn't come to me when I needed you. And the goats are like, what the heck? Of course we did. When were you in prison? When were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you thirsty? If I would have known, I would have given it to you. These are people who believe in Jesus. These are people who are Christians who would have come to their Lord if they would have known their Lord needed help. Now, he goes over to the sheep and he's like, listen, guys, you came to me when I was in prison. You came to me when I was hungry. You came to me when I was thirsty. You showed me love when no one else showed me. You were that good Samaritan on the road when the priest passed me by, when the, when the, um, the, the people passed me by. You were the one who stopped and you helped me. And the sheep are like, Bleh. no, I'm just kidding. That's not what they said. They, the sheep are, <laughs> the sheep said, the sheep said, <laughs> sorry. Um, the sheep said, I always make myself laugh <laughs> on that one. Oh man. Um, the sheep are like, when did we come to you? So they're at the same problem that the goats are having, except they did it right. So they accidentally did the right thing. They accidentally did the wrong thing. I would rather accidentally do the right thing. So I'm putting my vote in to be a sheep. But I think Jesus gave us this parable so that we could choose who we were going to become. And this is what ruined me. Jesus said to anybody, the, the sheep are like, when did we come to you? Because we obviously didn't. I don't remember you being in prison. Now I went to prison. I saw prison people, but I didn't see you. And Jesus goes, exactly. 
to every person you came to in prison, every person you fed when they were hungry, every person you gave when they were homeless and broke, every person you gave water to when they were thirsty, every person you showed compassion to when they were on the side of the road and you watched other people pass them by, to every people that you went to, you did it unto me myself. And I take valuing people so personally that when you value somebody, you do it unto me myself. And every person you treated with love and compassion and you gave them hope and you gave them faith, to those people, you gave gave me love, you gave me compassion, you gave me hope, and you gave me faith. To everything that you did for them, you did unto me, because I stand with the orphan. I, Jesus, stand with the vagabond. I, Jesus, stand with Barabbas. And when it's me or Barabbas that's going to get set free, I choose to let Barabbas get set free because I stand with the sinner because I'm going to pay their debt. And so if you can't see me in the sinner, then you can't see me at all. And the goats are sent into fire and the sheep are happy. And that's the end of the story. And then the disciples are probably confused. But when I read it one day, I realized that every person that I loved and every person I showed love to, I was showing Jesus. And then a sweet little thing, I remember being at a cafe one time and I just, um, I remember being in, in, in a London cafe and I, I was, it was the last time I was here and I went inside um, the Costa and there was trash or rubbish everywhere. And I, and I saw it and there was only one woman working and it was the end of her shift. And so I picked up all the trash and the rubbish and I threw it out and I took all the dishes to the kitchen for her. And she's like, oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Stop, don't, don't do that. No, stop doing it. And I'm like, don't tell me to stop. You're by yourself and there's people. And so I'm gonna help you. And so I was actually wearing this shirt that said, love God, love people. So she's reading this. I'm not giving her a reason for why I'm doing it. I'm just saying, I'm going to do it. I didn't say Jesus loves you. I didn't say God loves you. I just was showing her that Jesus loved her, but I was more so showing her that I loved her and that I was going to help her because she was the one getting paid to do it, but she was overwhelmed. So I, I'm taking all the plates and Costa to the kitchen or as close as I could. And she starts crying and she starts saying, why'd you do that? And I said, because Jesus loves you. And she said, she said, I've been contemplating the existence of God yesterday and today. And now that you're doing this, it's really messing me up right now. She's crying and I spoke to her a word that God put on my heart and I prayed for her and her shoulder got healed. I remember that and um, she gave her life to Jesus. And we, I carried on in my day and I remember her giving me a hug and saying, thank you. And I remember that hug, and I remember giving her a hug, and I remember thinking, Jesus is hugging me right now. Because I could see Jesus in the woman. And I just started to cry while I was hugging her. Because I was so thankful that Jesus in her was hugging me, even though she didn't even believe in Jesus yet at that moment. She was just saying thank you. And I realized that it was Jesus, the one saying thank you for her on her behalf, because it was Jesus standing with her, saying, who's gonna help her? Who's going to help her with this issue? Who's going to show her me that I'm real? And I realized that when I showed her that I was real, I was one of those sheep. And Jesus said to me, Nathan, you came to me. You cleaned up my cafe. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, when did you ever have a cafe? <laughs> 
you know, other than maybe Hebrews coffee in, in, at Bethel Church. <laughs> but, um, but when did you have a cafe? And Jesus is going to remind me of that story with that woman. And he's going to say, it was, it was when you cleaned it for that woman, you cleaned it for me. And I realized that something that Paul was trying to convey without trying to convey to us at all in Philemon was, listen, he was saying this, he was saying, listen, when, when, when this bondservant comes, right, remember the story, he said, when, this, when my bondservant, who's more than a bondservant, but a brother, when he comes, treat him with love because you want to, not because you have to, treat him with love because you want to, I want you to now, I want you, I want to add color to this story. And I want you to imagine Paul, instead of it being Paul, I want you to imagine it being God and God being the God that he is with this massive plan just sets this little person to just just interject into your journey, into your path. And you're at your church and God sends this little old woman or little old man to come in and they look insignificant, like they have nothing really to offer except their their joy and their, their conversation. But, they, but God sends this person person in. And, and, and God's saying as Paul to us, he's saying, listen, I could tell you to love them. I could just tell you and command you to, but I'd rather for love's sake, let you be compelled by compassion to love them. And, and then he says, listen, for this person you don't know, but they've, they've become a friend of mine. They've shown me love and they've, they've been with me and I'd rather that they'd stay with me, but I'm going to send them to you forever. I'm going to send them that they would be with you, but show them the same love that you would show me. If Jesus walked in through those doors, what's the kind of love we would show Jesus? And this is the kind of love that Jesus expects us to show one another. He does not elevate himself above us. In fact, the Father elevates him above everything. He lowers himself below us. In John 13, when he had been given authority over all things, he then takes off his outer garment and washes our feet and says, I've done this to be an example. This is my character. This is my life. This is how I choose to live. Jesus doesn't even just get on our level. Jesus goes below our level and washes our feet. He does not elevate himself above us. He does not come on this platform and preach a message to you and say, how amazing am I speaking these words of wisdom to you and these parables that confound the wise. No, that's not Jesus. Jesus is the Jesus that comes and he washes your feet and says, I love you. How can I help you? How can I show you that my father loves you? How can I prove to you that I love you? That's the kind of love that Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. You've heard it said that I've told you to love one another as yourself, but today I give you a new commandment, that commandment being love one another the way I have loved you. And by this, you will prove to the world that you belong to me. What Paul didn't, I don't even know if he knew what he was doing when he was writing this. He may not have, because there's so many things in that little small, ch small chapter book, principles in there that I didn't have time to touch to on today. But do you see the heartbeat of Paul? Do you see how heart, do you see how Paul had the heartbeat of the father? Do you see how Paul didn't elevate himself even above this bond servant, this brother that he was sending? He put himself on the same level as this person. Paul was, yes, his father in the spirit because he became his father in imprisonment. How, how does that sound like God to us? Doesn't that sound like our father to us? When you were in imprisonment and when 
I was imprisonment and when I was in my cell and when I was in my chains, it was the father who came and stood next to me and stood beside me in my prison and said, I love you and I'm going to be your father. It was while I was still in prison and I felt rejected and alone and I felt afraid. It was while I was still there that the father came to me. I don't know about you, but it was definitely for me. And he came and he said, Nathan, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to be your father. And he became my father in chains. He became my father while I was still in prison. And then, and then the father sent me away. The father sent me not to leave his presence, but he sent me into the world. I don't believe I was born into this world by accident. I don't believe any of you were born in this world by accident. I believe I was sent into this world on purpose for a reason. And so were you because it says in Psalm 139 that before you were born, that God researched every single part of you and knew you before you were even made and had a plan of destiny and fulfillment and provision for you before you even took a breath and now Jesus the last breath he breathed on that cross is now beating in my lungs it's breathing in my lungs it's beating in my heart and now that same breath of Jesus is now breathing inside of me and I choose to what Paul said in 2nd Corinthians 5 he says I'm convinced I'm compelled by love to judge this that if one died for all, then all have died so that all who live might live for the one who died for them all. This is the life we live now. This is integrity. When you're able to love people with this kind of love and treat people with kindness and treat them with patience, that's when you're able to look like the father. So going back to Philemon, going back to the story, what does Paul further on say? He doesn't say treat him with goodness. What does he say? He says, listen, remember, Paul being in this example, in this, in this, in this analogy, Paul being God, imagine God sending this person into your life, right? And this person, he, he steals from you. He robs you. This person robs you and he owes you now because maybe you lent to him, but now he hasn't paid you back. So now he's robbed you until he pays you back. Paul goes on to say, listen, don't even hold that offense against him. I'll pay for it myself. Don't even mention it to him and don't even speak about it yourself. What am I saying? I'm saying, I'm saying me, Nathan, and my friend who God puts in my life, comes in my life and my friend offends me royally and he does something that's wrong and he owes me money or he owes me something and there's an offense between us. My father is telling me, Nathan, don't even hold it against him. I'll pay on his behalf for him. And then you look back and you look at the story of Jesus on the cross and you look that it is true that Jesus went and he took every offense and every debt. It's promised that every debt and every offense and every sin was weighed on Jesus and Jesus was judged as guilty and Jesus paid that debt with his blood. And now that blood is the currency that we have as Christians to access all amounts of faith and grace that so mercifully flows from the throne of God. And now we stand holding the blood of Jesus and we say, you know what? 
my friend has offended me and he owes me money, but I hold the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the currency that flows in my very veins has paid for his debt. So father, I make no mention to him that I'm angry and offended and frustrated. And I make no mention even among my own mind that I would not get distracted and led astray by evil thoughts and evil intentions, but I will keep my mind pure and I will love him and I will be patient and I will forgive for you, God alone, know that he owes me, but you've promised that you would pay every single debt that he owed. So I charge nothing on his account, but I hold it and I remain steadfast knowing that you will fulfill every promise you've given and pay back every debt that's been owed for you're a good father. You're a good father. And then what happens to me? I walk out these doors with my conscience being clean. I walk out these doors with my heart being light. I walk out these doors with integrity beating in my heart. And I know that I've been put on this planet not to hold debts against people, but I've been put on this planet to set people free from their debts. I've been put on this planet to set people free from their imprisonment. I've been put on this planet to give hope to a hopeless generation. And I have found hopeless people in their 80s and in their 90s. And I have found hopeless people in their five and six-year-old and seven-year-olds. I have found hopeless people in every generation, and I've been sent on this planet to be hope to them. I cannot be hope to them if I'm weighed down by offense and bitterness and anger and frustration. I can't carry the glory of God and be a glory carrier of God on this planet and carry my offenses. It's one cross or the other. It's going to be one thing or the other. I'm going to hold your offenses against me and I'm going to walk with that or I'm going to carry the glory of God and I'm going to walk with that. And it's a choice you don't make once. It's a choice you make every day and sometimes twice a day and sometimes three times a day. And sometimes 70 times seven times a day. If that person so eagerly pursues that forgiveness. What if Christians were known for the people that were so eager to forgive? They never didn't unforgive. They always forgave. They couldn't be people that weren't forgiving. I think that's the church that Jesus paid the highest price for. That's my own opinion. That's, that's my opinion that I, that, that I conclude from reading this. Now, now, I read this every day. I put this in me every day. I listen to it audibly. I, I read it, and it's the only thing that's going in my eyes, and it's the only thing going in my ears that bears fruit in me. And so when this becomes alive in me, and it doesn't, be a rule book, but it stays as the person and character of Jesus. The person and character of Jesus begins to rule out and root out my character, and I become transformed, and I'm, I'm given a new mind. First Corinthians um, chapter 2 says I'm given a new mind in Christ. Romans says I'm given a new mind in Christ. So today, as I, as I conclude I just want to pray with us all together, and, and, and I want us to pray that we would strive, that we would strive to walk in integrity, that 
confounds and behooves wise people. And I want to share a story before we pray of what, of what this looks like in my life. Is that okay? Did that help anybody? There's a lot of Bible, but did that help? Did that, was that encouraging? So I remember, um, I remember one day I was, I was, uh, it was, I was in Arizona and I had just been kicked out of my house. I had just been fired from my grandparents' company. I had just lost all my friends. I had just been kicked out of my dad's church and I had just uh, been broken up with. So I had just lost everything that I knew. And I was there with one friend in Arizona and I'm sitting every day. I had to wake up to the reality of when I fly back home, I don't have a house or a car to go to. So I have about seven days left and I'm supposed to do this concert at Arizona State University. And, um, and, and, and we go and, and we wake up, we wake up and only me and my friend and one other person knows what's going on. And, uh, um, this lady says, hey, Nathan, do you want to go to Arizona State University and, and, and pray with people and love on people and, you know, evangelize a bit? And I said, sure, let's do that. And um, I go out there and weighing down my thoughts were these thoughts of rejection and thoughts of resentment. And I remember God was just, God just spoke to me. He said, Nathan, he said, don't worry about the rejection and don't worry about the resentment. I have a plan. That's all he told me. He said, I have a plan. So I said, okay. And immediately I just turned my whole life to joy. I don't know how he did it. He just, my whole life went to joy and I'm out there loving on people and I'm out there praying with people. And I remember finding and stumbling across this old chapel and we come into a chapel, it was about this big, this room. And um, I'm playing the piano and I'm, I'm, I'm just singing songs like Amazing Grace and songs of worship on the piano. And these two guys come in the chapel and they sit down in the back and they're looking at me. And uh, they're looking at me and they don't engage. And I'm like, these are not Christians. <laughs> I don't think so. At least I don't think, I, I don't think they are. And they were kind of analyzing the whole thing. And uh, meanwhile, there's a group of us, maybe four or five of us, and we're praying. We're praying in tongues and praying pretty loud. Who's ever stumbled into a prayer meeting and everyone's praying really loud? And you felt like, okay, I need to either get in this or I need to get out of the room. So that's what was going on. And I'm pounding away at the keys. Pounding because I had just started learning how to play piano anyway, so I barely knew how to play. So I'm literally pounding. And I'm pounding these keys out. And uh, we stop and these guys come up to me and my friend and they say, so what's your story? And I just break down and I just tell them what was going on. And they said, no way. And then the friend had a similar story happening to him right there. And then the other friend was helping him get through it. And so they said, the friend started telling us how the friend was like starting to react and retaliate to all these people and do all these things. And so then the friend asked me, so what are you doing about this whole thing? What are you doing? And I said, I, I said well, I just, I'm processing forgiving all of them and loving them, I actually want to be able to be thankful for them in my life again. And he starts crying. And, he, and, and his friend goes, why are you crying? And the guy goes, I always wanted to be that strong. I always wanted to react that way. And then the friend goes, 
you know, I think, I think I did too. And they're talking about it. And I'm just saying, well, no matter how hard you try, you're never gonna be able to do it. And they said, well, then how, how can you do it? And I said, well, I, I actually just align myself with who did do it. I just agree with the person that did do it. He says, what person did do it? And I said, well, let me tell you about Jesus then. And they're like, no, 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 I know about Jesus. And I said, no, you don't know about Jesus or you would know what I'm talking about. And he's, they said, okay, fine. They said, Jesus, okay, so Jesus took every single debt I ever owed. He took the penalty of it, forgave me of it, and they didn't ask for anything in return. And they're like, oh, that's nice. And they said, well, he did that for every single human that's ever lived and that ever will live. Every murderer, every rapist, every person that's a sinner, you and your friend, me and my friend, and the people that wronged me. So if I've been forgiven, how can I hold any unforgiveness towards them? If they've been forgiven too, they're just acting out of unforgiveness at the moment. And they said, oh, wow, we need Jesus then. And they gave, both of them gave their life to Jesus. And I walk out of the chapel and they both had prayed this prayer with us and we get their contact info. And about an hour later, I go to uh, um, lead worship for this big, big concert. And so I'm on, the, I'm on the stage doing the concert and we finish the concert and I get off and this guy comes up and gives an altar call for people to come get prayer. And Arizona State University is the largest university in the United States, has 90,000 students, and 45% of them are international, and 50% of them are, um, um, uh, 50% of them are uh, Asian religions, and the other 50% are uh, a mix of Christian and then atheists and other stuff. So not many Christians there on this campus. And um, this guy comes up to me at the end, and, he, and, and, and I, I just wanted to curl up into a ball because I was still feeling very uh, hurt by everything that was going on. I still hadn't, even though I was trying to forgive, I still hadn't yet walked my forgiveness out per se. I hadn't stepped into it fully, but I had decided in, inwardly that I was going to forgive. And um, I get off the stage and I'm just a ball of a mess. I'm crying because I'm just crying because I'm just sad. And so I get off the stage and this guy comes up to me and my friend and he goes, he goes, hey, um, can God forgive you of anything? I said, yeah. Because he said, I did something really wrong. And I said, well, yeah, God can forgive you of anything. Meanwhile, as me saying that, I'm just, all I'm thinking is if God can forgive you of anything, God can forgive these people that have wronged me. So I can't be angry with them. I can't be offended by them. I have to love them. This is when I was learning everything that I'm speaking to you now. So it was in this process. And I was like, I have to love them. I can't hold any offense against them. And he goes, because I did something really bad and, I, and, and I'm willing to let, I'm Hindu and I have 19 gods and I'm willing to recant all 19 gods. I know all their books. I know all their religions. I'm willing to let go of all 19 gods. This is his own words so that I can become Christian and give my life to Jesus if he can forgive me of anything. Is anything impossible for God? And I said, no, nothing's impossible for God. He said, okay, I really, I want my virginity back. That's what he said. I said, um, that's a new one. <laughs> you know what my friend and I said? We looked at each other for about a minute, for a, like a second. We looked, at, we looked at each other for a second, and we both just knew what we had to say. We said, absolutely, God can do that. 
So we pray with him. And we say, we say, amen, he gets saved, and we go home, and we start telling somebody about the story. We're like, hey, guys, this guy, he just got, you know, he just got this back. And people were like, God can't do that. God can't give that back to you. And while I'm sharing the story, this woman goes, actually, I think God can, because we had a girl in our small group about three years ago, and she lost hers due to this thing. But we prayed for her, the small group, and then when she got her physical done, she actually had that, that skin remade out of nothing. It was torn and then it was remade. That's impossible. The human body doesn't do that. So if God can do it for her, God can do it for him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. And so this person that didn't know God could do that, that person breaks down and he's like, well, I need God to forgive me of this. And there was this whole season and week of forgiving of people. And I go home and I fly home. I have no car. (laughs) I have no house and I've got no money. And I fly home. And then I remember God saying, so what are you gonna do? I said, well, thank you, God, for this day. And thank you, God, for these people in this airport that you're about to reach with your love. And I get off the plane and I start praying with people in the airport. My friend comes and picks me up, takes me to their house. And then I stay in their house and God just does all these miracles all for the rest of like six months. And I was never on the street from that day forward. I was in people's homes just taken care of for six months until God gave me a business and gave me a new car and all this stuff. And God came through. But the reason why I shared that whole story is because I'm trying to tell you that it wasn't easy at all to do that. It was absolutely one of the most impossible things I've ever had to do to be able to love and forgive these people that way. But the only reason why I was able to do that was because I believe the love of my father, the same heart of God started to beat in my chest. And the response that God would have towards somebody and the way he would treat somebody started to become the way I wanted to treat them. And the only reason that happened was because I humbled myself and I said, God, I don't look like what this thing says I'm supposed to look like, but I want to and I'm willing to. Would you just teach me how to look like what this thing says I'm supposed to look like? And from that day, this is a little over two years ago that when that happened, from that day, my whole life, has completely changed. And God's taught me how to love people, how to forgive, and how to treat people with integrity and not let things remain in my heart and in my mind for me to stay offended. So the whole point of this morning was so that you guys would be empowered to walk out of here different. If you walk out of here the same and act the same way, then there's no fruit. But if you walk out of here at least with the effort and the will to change. I promise you, God will meet every effort. He will meet every will, and he will change your heart, and he will show you how to forgive and how to walk in love to treat people from the vagabond on the street to the sinner over here, to your mother over here, to your stepmother over here, whoever it is, people that it's hard to love, he's gonna put them in your life so that you can show them the love of Jesus and you won't look like the goats. You're gonna look like the sheep. You're gonna look like the people that belong to Jesus by the way that you love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, to, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person in this room. God, I pray for anybody in this room that's... Um, that's suffering right now with an issue, with any kind of offense, with any kind of unforgiveness, because it's hard and because it's justifiable of what's happened to them, that it's wrong. 
Father, I, I, I pray that the same character that beats in your heart would begin to beat in our hearts, would begin to beat in my heart, that the character of Jesus, the way that you would walk around, the way that you would talk about this person, the way you would talk about these people, the things you would say about these people, I pray that those would begin to be the things we say and that we talk about and we think about. Father, show us how to love them. Teach us how to love them. And Father, let us love one another and become family and let all the divisions stop. Let all the division and denomination stop. And let us reach out to one another and stop looking at denomination and stop looking at titles and recognition and who's done what. But can we just look to Jesus and what he did and who he is and love people the way Jesus, the way you've called us to love them. I pray right now that any bit of anger and frustration on anybody's heart and anybody's mind would just fade off. And I also pray that people that love in this room, every person in this room would right now tangibly receive the fire of the love of God even more so than ever before, that we would love deeper and higher and greater and wider than ever before in the name of Jesus. Let us be changed. Let our minds be changed from our carnality to the mind of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Thank you guys so much. You guys are amazing.